Unfortunate health, Yaspard. I'm an empath and paranormal investigator. I am also an author of a dozen books. Thank you for listening to Haunted Real Connections, where I'll bring you the best mediums and paranormal people the field has to offer. Stay tuned for another great show on Paranormal King Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Haunted Real Connections on Paranormal Team Radio. And I'm your host, Nicole Jasper, and I have a wonderful guest with us tonight, uh, Joe Frankie. Welcome to our show. Thank and, you. And uh, sorry, guys, we're running late on uh, Redlands. <laughs> I always like to blame it, Redlands. But anyway, but uh, just to let everybody know a little bit about your, your background that you gave to me, and I'm going to read it a little bit if you don't mind. Real quick, and then uh, we'll have Q and A with the audience. They'll ask us questions, you know, shortly. And so, um, Joe Frankie is a veteran in the paranormal world. I'm I'm going too fast. <laughs> um, not only is he an accomplished investigator, he is also a seasoned researcher, demonologist, and a consultant and lecturer with more than 36 years experience to his credit. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned the next part. <laughs> Joe's journey is in the paranormal domain began back in 1986 at the age of 18, when he met and befriended famed paranormal researchers Dilly Ed and Lorraine Warren at a local seminar. So Joe was chosen by the Warrens and was invited to join them in their work as one of their original students. And in fact, during their initial introduction, Joe finally re- uh, recalls Lorraine saying to him, honey, you, you were meant to do this work. Would you like to have me work with us? So the Warrens took Joe under their wing and welcomed him into their family where he eventually met his dear friend and brother the Warren's grandson, Chris McKinnell, who's also been a part of our guests for a few times on the show. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, I thank you, Joe, for your time and everything. I really do appreciate it. You have me with us tonight. <laughs> I know you accomplished that. And yet alone to meet the Warrens must have been awesome to to learn a lot from them. I, I know I would. <laughs> It, yes, it was. And, and I might start off by saying today um, was Ed, Ed Warren's birthday. Oh, right, right. Happy Heavenly Birthday. Yeah, so you know, I, I miss him. I mean, he would have been, oh, God, 93, I think. Oh, wow. Some, some, he would have been in his uh, early to mid-90s. Cause, uh, yeah, maybe maybe 95. I don't know. He's no good math. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was a great guy, great teacher. But you know, as they as they tell people, to me, they weren't the famous Warrens. They were just you know, like Graham and Grant. You know, I was 
Right. Like renters, and also mentors. I bet they're right. Mentors oh, yeah. and everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, let me tell you, there's there's not, there's huh? really no substitute than you study under, you know, who I thought were the best because they were really the pioneers in, in the paranormal field. Uh, starting right. in Nesper uh, back in 1952. Wow. Um, but I was, in, I was chosen, and what I meant by that in my bio is that when I met them, Lorraine uh, and Ed asked me uh, to come and work with them. She could mm-hmm. tell while reading my aura right. that I was me- meant to do this work. So this was a vocation for me. And uh, you know, lo and behold, 36 years later, I'm, I'm still in the work. Um, you know, carrying on their legacy. Um, you know, now they both passed on. So, yeah, we're um, both I, we're both part of their foundation. I'm like, I was like stoked because I'm, you know, a fan. But even though I never got to meet them, uh, I just loved their work and everything they did. Yeah, and hopefully, I can learn. Pretty, pretty big cases in their in their careers. Right. I hope I can learn from you guys. <laughs> Well, I believe we learn, we'll all learn from one another. I mean, I've that, been in the field a long time. I've seen a lot. I've experienced quite a bit, but um, I, I don't consider myself an expert, really. I mean, okay. I'm still learning. I mean, it's a journey. I mean, and there is no expert in this field, yeah. if, if you take the, the word the way it's defined. But, um, you know, people will call me that, and, and it's very gracious of them and, you know, respectful, and I appreciate it. However, I'm still learning, and I can still learn from all of you. Right. You know, um, no, nobody knows everything. The only perfect no, man I know true. died on the cross. So, <laughs> you know. No, I believe uh, that. It's, yeah. it's a constant learning experience, and I always tell people to stay humble. No, there's no room for egos in this foundation. Oh yeah. You, know, you need people need to keep their, their humility in check, and stay humble regardless of whether or not they get on TV or whatever. I mean, I've turned down multiple TV shows. Um, right. For just that reason. <laughs> you know, it's one thing oh, well. I say is my integrity is not for sale. So. Right, I commend you for that. And um, use my voice and I was you like crazy. Um, we have a question from Carlos from chat. Um, he wants to know when was... He born? I think they're talking when about was you. I born? Ed, you were Ed. <laughs> uh, Ed was born in 1927, <laughs> I think. He and Lorraine were only a year apart. If, 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 oh, Carlos, wow. if you're talking about Ed, if you're talking about me, I, was, I wasn't born, I was hatched. <laughs> um, yeah, Ed was... Is, um, I think it was 1927, and the reason I say that is because that's the year my father was born. So I think right. they're the same age. I came in later. I was born in 72. <laughs> yeah, I was born in 68, so uh, um, that's eons ago. And of course, I want to welcome everybody listening to our show, and I'm talking to Joe Frankie from the Warren Lake Foundation. And uh, everybody from that is listening and shouting, of course, Terry, Jeff, Father Ken, and Carlos in the house. So welcome, guys. And of course, I have a few questions on my plate here for you, if you don't mind. Um. So I, of course, I want to ask you, 
What was it like to not only to meet Ed and Lorraine Warren, but to also to work with them as well? Well, I tell you, um, you know, I had heard about the Warrens when I was a teenager and I had seen them. They were featured on uh, news media and television and they were print media as well. So I knew of the Warrens uh, when I was younger. Um, and my wife, who was my just my girlfriend at the time, because we just had our 30th anniversary, my wife and I. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I don't know. I've tried everything, but she, she won't get rid of me. So, <laughs> um, so we met my wife in 86. And one night, you know, I guess it was a Friday night, she says to me, oh, hey, what do you want to do tonight? You know, kind of tired of the same old, same old. She said, I see in the newspaper there was a, a, an advertisement that the Warrens were going to be uh, lecturing uh, one town over uh, at uh, Holiday Inn. Right? What they would do is they would rent a room at a local motel or conference room, uh-huh. and then they would sell tickets. So I said, that sounds like a great idea. So, um, you know, as fate would have it, you know, I, we went there, and Lorraine was at the table selling the tickets, and I, I walked up um, – and she looks at me, and, and she's kind of got her head cocked to the side. And she's looking at me kind of funny, and she's like, honey, have we met before? And, and I said, no, Lorraine. I said, I've heard a lot about you guys. I said, I've seen you on television, but no, we've never met in person. And she's, she's still looking. What she was doing, I found out later, was she was reading my aura. Lorraine could right. see auras, spiritual auras, the glow. And that's like the energy around... Mm-hmm. It's yep. energy, uh, the, energies. The energy, and and everyone has their an aura, and and you know, not everyone's different. We're all different in in yeah. different colors, and she could tell by the colors emanating from the. I see them too uh, sometimes. About them, yeah, it's fascinating. So it she said, she said, honey, she said she called everybody honey. You know, <laughs> she was such a sweet lady. She said, honey, oh. there's a reason why you're here tonight. And, and she goes, um, mm. I want you to come see Ed and I after the show. Sorry, the phone keeps pinging here. Um, so I said, okay, so, you know, now I'm just trying to sit through the show, and I can't possibly, you know, sit still, and I'm trying to keep a thought in my head. And, um, so finally the show ends, and Ed's packing up and everything. He's like, okay, kids, let's go. We're going across the street to the diner. That was a big thing with Ed. Anytime they did it a lecture or, or a case. We always ended up at a diner afterwards to review evidence and talk about the case. Oh, wow. That's why that's why I'm as big as I am today, because they went to a lot of diners. So, um, yeah. So, uh, so Lorraine and, Ed, um, and Tony was there also. Um, and Lorraine's sitting across from me, and she's holding my hand, and she's looking at me, and she told me what she was doing. She was reading my arm. And she said, you know, honey, she goes, I can oh. tell by your aura that you were meant to do this work. She said, would you oh, consider wow. coming and working with us? So I was, that's why I said I was chosen. I was selected by them. Um, and I, I was in shock. I'm like, absolutely. I said, you know, I don't think I missed the beat. I said, absolutely. So um, that's when my journey pretty much started. And, and the way I got my feet wet was, there was a little uh, inn slash restaurant in Newtown, Connecticut, uh, where they would, uh, every Monday night uh, from like 6 to 8 or something like that, um, they would have classes. And there was just a few of us. There was only about six of us. And that included my wife at the time and my girlfriend. She was oh, then. And uh, 
you know, uh, so what Ed would do, I remember the first class, what? he pulled out his tape recorder and he started playing the tapes from Amityville. He interviewed tapes. So that was my first introduction to the Amityville. Amityville wasn't the Amityville horror back then. It didn't turn into uh, the Amityville horror until the book and the movie came out and all that stuff. Oh, right. Amityville was just another case that they were called in on at the time. However, it was a horrific case. Uh, and I've got lots of stories that I can tell, you know, that I got from, from Ed. But um, so anyway, uh they would play these tapes, and then they, I remember him playing the voices from the Enfield, England case, where these mm. spirit voices would interact with Ed and basically answer questions. And these voices, he said, they were coming out of thin air from, from everywhere. You know, oh, from, wow. from the, all around the room, these voices would be answering questions. And they would say things, and say, well, tell me your name. Tommy. You know, it's a Tommy. There was Tommy, I forget the other one. But and, and, that, and um, it was interesting. And they so, like disembodied voices, or you or they were disembodied sure. voices. They were disembodied voices. Uh, okay. Well, and uh, they so and he's got these on tape. So he'd be playing the tapes, and then a couple of minutes into the tape, he hits the stop button. And he goes, "Okay, kids, that's enough." He says, "Voices like this." He said, "These are demonic voices, and we don't want to give them a lot of recognition," which is true. Right. You don't <laughs> want to give. You don't want to give negative evil spirits a lot of recognition you don't want to give them that power yeah so um so that's how i got started and then uh, i was introduced uh to um i'm getting to a point folks i promise <laughs> I, I, I got introduced to if, you, if everyone on the call has heard of dudley town dudley town connecticut the cursed village hmm. uh dudley town uh is it's in a wooded wooded area of northwest connecticut yeah you can look it up google it dudley town Okay. Um, wooded area of north, northern, you know, northwestern Connecticut. I'm gonna get my notebook out. <laughs> the the Appalachian Trail goes through this. The Appalachian Trail covers about 52 miles of of Connecticut, and it mm -hmm. goes through that that area. So you're allowed to go in there during the day. However, at night after you know dusk, you better be out of there, or you're running the risk of being either ticketed for trespassing or arrested. Unfortunately. And the oh, reason wow. for that is all the hype mm -hmm. over this area over the last 30, 40 years has mm -hmm. caused a lot of people to go up there and cause trouble. Uh, yeah, they've I had bet. Satanists up there making satanic altars. Uh, we, when I went up there a few times, we found the altar and we found a lot of <laughs> bones, which I hope were animal bones. As, mm -hmm. you know, as there yeah. you know, sacrifices, there was a big rock, flat rock with a pentagram spray painted on it. It was pretty bad. So um, we go up, and we're on what they call a ghost safari, okay? So what the Warrens would do, at their sometimes at their lectures, they would have people sign up and say, listen, we're going to have a ghost safari. And what that is is we used to meet the Warrens. Everybody would take their own cars. We would meet them at a select spot near their home in Monroe, Connecticut, and we would follow them from place to place. So we would go end up, we were one, one stop was in the parking lot of a church and then we'd get out of the cars and form a circle and Lorraine and Ed would discuss what happened inside this church. Sometimes we would go into the places that are open to the public and it would tell us about, you know, hey, this is the church where we had this case and there was an exorcism performed here and this, that, and the other thing. So the last stop on this tour, this ghost safari, was Dudley Town. 
Now, Ed was not able to traverse down into the town. You had to walk about a mile and a half down this very rugged trail that was covered by leaves and rocks and felled trees and all that kind of stuff. So, it, And it was pretty steep in some areas. So Ed had just come off his uh, first heart attack, so he couldn't make it down there. He and Lorraine uh-huh. stayed behind, and we went down with another guide, someone that knew the area better than I did at the time. <laughs> So we go down in there, and the only thing that's left are some old rock uh, foundations. There's not much left of Dudley Town. Uh, and you'd walk right by it if you didn't know what you were looking for. Right. So um, we go down there, and the guy tells us some stories about it. And we come back, and the Warrens, are, their car is stuck. I see Ed's got the hood up of his car. He can't get it started. He's like, oh, geez. He goes, I knew I was low on gas, but I thought I had enough to get to the gas station or get home. So the car wouldn't start, but this was the end of the tour, so... To my surprise, everybody was leaving. Everybody got in their cars and said goodbye and left. And I looked at Laurel, my wife, and I said, well, I'm not going to leave them here, you know. So um, I, had, I had, uh, had a toolbox I would carry in my car. So I said, well, let me take a look at it. So I, I take the cover off the carburetor, and I look down in there, and I'm pumping the thing, and it's shooting gas into the carburetor. I'm like, well, you have gas. You know, I said, so I'm, I'm working on it for 20 to 30 minutes, and I'm just stumped. And then finally I go, could it be that simple? Something just hit me. I don't know if I'm psychic or what, but I said, let me check something. So I said, Ed, hop out for a second. So I get in the driver's seat. I open up the fuse panel, and lo and behold, I pull the fuse on the fuel pump, and the fuse was blown. Oh, so wow. it, it came down to a simple fuel, fuel pump fuse, 20-amp fuse. So I pull the 20-amp fuse out of the battery, stick it in there, the car starts right up. <laughs> so it was just a simple blown fuse, a 10, 15-cent fuse. So they were so happy, like, okay, kids, you know, by now it's like 8, eight o'clock maybe. They're, come on, we're going to go out to dinner. I'm hungry. Let's go. So I followed him down the road a couple of miles to a restaurant. We had a nice meal. He's like, yeah, it's not too late. He goes, come on back to the house. I want to show you the museum. <laughs> uh-huh. First time I've seen the museum. And my God, I tell you, and people ask me when I lecture about this, like, geez, Joe, weren't you scared? I go, you bet your ass. And that's how it leads to my next question. What was it like to meet mm. with Annabelle? And were, were you on that case? Uh, no, no. Annabelle, I think I was like eight years old when Annabelle's case came uh, out. That was in the mid, mid-70s, mid I think 74. So I was that would have put me at six years old, but I would have liked to be involved. Um, <laughs> so, so I go back to the Warren's house, and that's where I received my first signed copy of The Demonologist. Oh wow! Looking at right now, it's in my bookcase. It's I a have weather, a pop- little weathered looking. Yeah. Do you have the small book or the bigger one? Probably the bigger one. The bigger one is a is a reprint. I have that one too. Yeah. This is the small well, book. If we were if we were on video, um, which I'm glad we're not because I have a fancy <laughs> radio. And I'm going to scare you guys. Uh, uh, well, I would show you the book. I am going to bring it to some of my lectures so I can show people, but. So um, oh, it's one of the books that I have that's signed by both the Warrens. Uh, oh, Lorraine wow. usually signed the book. Since you would look, put Love and Prayers, Ed and Lorraine Warren, but Ed actually signed this for me as well. You know, and, and Ed's been, he's been that's passed cool. now for 15, 16 years. However, when he, he got sick, it was 2001. So, you know, he's pretty much been, been not been with us for 20 some odd years. So anyway. He starts to tell me a story about the Amityville case. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm hearing it firsthand. I'm standing in their house. And he said, Joe, you want to hear what happened to us when we got back from Amityville? I'm like, uh, uh okay. 
<laughs> well, all the hairs on my body are standing up. You know, I'm like, I don't know. I yeah, Shield is listening. Well, it, this is, I'm telling you, this is all true. I remember this like it was yesterday. So I'm standing in the kitchen by the, by the refrigerator. And to the right of me, there's a set of stairs that go down into what we <laughs> call the Halloween room. Ed had a Halloween room, which I've uh, oh, right, right. adopted myself. Uh, my room down here is covered with Halloween items and lighthouses. So uh, he takes me down and, well, let me stop before I go down there. I'm standing there. He says, when we got back from Amityville, he said, I heard this loud, thunderous-like noise, like sheet metal rattling, if everyone knows what that sounds like. Take a piece of, big piece of sheet metal and rattle it. They used to do it really. in the old time in the movies to sound like thunder. I've heard rattling on the walls, but I that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Heard a lot of that, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he said he hears this noise, and then up out of the cellar stairs, or the basement stairs, just to say, he said he saw this huge black mass. He said it was almost as tall as the ceiling. So your standard ceiling is eight feet tall, so this thing was seven-plus feet tall. It's this big black mass. He said, Joe, it's probably twice the size of you. And at that time, you know, I was a big guy. I was 320 pounds and, you know, could lift the train, you know. Well. But, you know, I, 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 I was standing there, and I said, Jesus, Ed, where did this happen? He goes, yeah, right about where you're standing. That's exactly what he said. I almost shat myself, okay? You know, I'm standing there, hey, big, tough guy, strong as an ox, but I was scared. I was scared. Oh, I bet. I, was, I might have even been trembling. And, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not too proud to admit that. But you know what? I don't think there's anybody listening that wouldn't feel the same way. But he's telling me the story. He goes, okay, come on downstairs with me. I'm like, oh, God. So I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? So Laurel and Lorraine, and Lorraine stayed in the kitchen making coffee and, and tea or whatever. And, okay, boys, have a good time. So we go down into his Halloween room, and he actually has a real coffin down there, which is still at the house today. And there was, a, like, I don't know, it was a, a wax dummy or something in the coffin to make it look realistic. But oh, man. his Halloween room alone, I'm not, I haven't even made it to the museum. I don't even like Halloween room. Yeah, Halloween. Um, no. <laughs> No, I well, this, this house is wicked haunted, trust me. So <laughs> then there's a door from that room goes through a tunnel like breezeway. So it's it's you know mm. it's covered, it's got a roof on it and everything. This tunnel goes probably about uh, fifty feet or so into to another door which leads into the museum. And the hallway is covered with paintings because Ed was a painter. <laughs> Oh, you know, yeah, it's covered with Ed's paintings and, and the paintings of the white lady and all kinds of paintings of haunted houses. I actually have one of the paintings hanging on my wall that was given to me by Chris. Um, oh, wow. When, when, he, when he moved out of Lorraine's house, when he, when he went to live abroad. So he couldn't take it with him anyway, so he gave it to me. So um, I go into the museum, and he's showing me around, and that's when I first meet Annabelle amongst mm-hmm. other things. But Annabelle stood out. And I'm standing there, I'm looking at this thing. And he's like, yeah, don't stare. He said, Joe, don't stare at it too long. And he goes, and don't touch anything for the love of God. So I shoved my hands in my pockets. Did he okay. say why don't I've... stare at it for too long? What's that? Did he say why don't stare at it for too long? Because it might affect you yeah, or something? Yeah, he's, he's like, no. He says, because everything in this room has got something attached to it. And they're all oh, looking right. at you and trying to figure you out. And he says, don't stare at it too long. He said, you, know, you don't want to get any bad vibrations or attachments. You know, That's all he had to say. I'm like, okay, I won't look at it anymore. <laughs> you know. So um, 
I don't think it was on this trip because I had been in the museum many, many, countless times over the years. But oh, wow. there was, I don't, I'm not sure if it was this time or it was another time. I'm down there, but Laurel was with me. So I don't know if she came downstairs with me. I, I'm trying to remember, but, you know, we're talking 36 years ago. So bear with me. So <laughs> I'm standing there and, and it's, it's a little after nine. And he goes, well, we've got to be careful, kids. You always call me kids. He said, we got to be careful, kids, because he goes, he goes, it's usually not safe in here after 9 o'clock at night. He goes, those are the psychic hours between 9 and 6, hey. 9, 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. 3 p.m. is what they call the devil, devil's hour. You know, so I said, okay. He's like, don't touch anything. I'll be right back. He had to go and take a phone call or something. I'm not sure if he's out or had to use the men's room. He goes, stay right here and don't touch anything. I'll be right back. So Laurel and I are standing there just looking around. I'm not even moving. I'm just standing there with my hands in my pockets. And she's holding on to my arm. And all of a sudden, he had these magazines in plastic sleeves. I believe it was Fate magazine. And I'm not I remember sure that. that. Mag- it was a, Fate magazine was a paranormal yeah. magazine. I don't even know if it's still in publication. I don't know, but, but I remember it. He had these, these magazines that featured articles of them and their cases. And they're in these plastic sleeves. Put, hung on uh, nails or thumbtacks <laughs> on the um, the rafter above me. Huh. And all of a sudden, now, you know, these, these things started to sway. And there must have been about eight or ten of them. There was, there was a few of them. And oh, they wow. started swinging by, back and forth, but not swinging like you're blowing on it, okay? They mm-hmm. were swinging back and forth very violently. And I'm, and Laurel, because Laurel saw it, she looked, she goes, look, look. She was looking through magazines, swinging back and forth. I'm looking at it. No, no sooner had she said that, Ed comes walking back in and he sees that. And he goes, all right, kids, we got to get out of here. Stuff's starting to happen. Oh, well. <laughs> and the, the energy in the room, he's like, he goes, even I don't stay in here after 9 o'clock at night if I don't feel safe. Now, his right. office is a little room right off of the museum. So he's like, sometimes oh. I'm in my office and I hear stuff in the other room and I have to, I have to leave. Wow. So it was fascinating. You know, I, would love I, I know to see we don't have much time, but it was fascinating. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, the museum is it's closed to the public now. Uh, they used okay, to give says tours. we have a full hour. Sorry. <laughs> okay. No, no problem. So um, the 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 museum used to be open for public tours on, right. on occasion. However, the house they live in is at the very end of a cul-de-sac. And you can't have 50 cars blocking up the street. The neighbors got yeah, really upset. <laughs> so the town, the town, unfortunately, came down on them and said no more. So, right. uh, but the museum and all the artifacts are still there. Uh, they do take some of the artifacts uh, out for show. They do. Um, oh yeah. You know, Paracon every year. Yeah. Uh, they have they have dinners and stuff. Um, Lorraine used to attend them when she was well, when she was with us, mm-hmm. and people could get her autograph. Hopefully one day I'll get out there. Like <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the family plans to do with the museum. It's not like you can rent space in a strip mall and put all that right. stuff there. I, <laughs> I mean, think... that stuff is very well protected where it is, and it probably should stay there. But the family right. wants to sell the house at some point. Believe me, if I had the money, I would buy it. Yeah. Um, there's some questions for you uh, from chat. Um, let's see. Terry York wants to know, what do you think the black mass was? Well, the Black Mass was what I would think was a demon. It was mm-hmm. it was not something that walked the earth in human form. Right. No, but it said that that was something that followed them back from Amityville. 
And believe me, there's a lot of truth to I that. I believe because it. Because I have cases that I've worked on, pretty bad cases, where these things would follow me home because they want to check me out. I mean, these things have the wisdom of the ages. They know who I am, and I'm not very popular with them. You know, Ed used to say, the devil knows who we are, and he, he hates us. Right. You know, the devil hates us because we are all created in God's image. That's you true. Know, he, the devil wants to destroy all of us. He wants to destroy our lives, our marriages, our finances. You know, the, the, the devil, you know, is out there, and he has his demons. The devil was, a, was once an angel. Yeah, you know, unfortunately. At, at one point. You know, I know, I've um, heard but, of yeah, time to time. It was a, it was a demon. Sorry, i got to plug my computer in. I thought it was... <laughs> and he, I want to get to King's question. He wants to know, why is the museum called the Occult Museum? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't believe it should be called a museum, but uh, it is. Um, yeah. It's an occult museum because all the artifacts that are in it have uh, are tied to a, a, a case, a lot of occult cases that the Warrens worked on. Right. Uh, you know, so they, they just call it, it's been called the Warren Occult Museum since long before I was I was even born. Right, that's true. And I have some questions here for you. Um, what is your difference from a demonologist to a paranormal investigator or psychic? Well, a psychic is someone that reads people and they can tell things about people's past and current and, mm. and probably future lives. You know, uh, a medium is someone who channels spirits. You know, uh, Lorraine was like a light trans medium, um, clairvoyant, uh, who could, you know, read auras and things like that. Demonologist, um, by definition, is, is the study of demons, one who studies demons, but you know, just because you, you know, look up Google and study, you know, look up some demons and stuff doesn't really make you a demonologist. You need to do the work. You need to study hard, okay. read up on the demons. There's many, many different demons. And different oh, kinds. yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and I don't even know everything. I'm still studying, you know. Um, and uh, so, there's, so there's, there's a big difference. People throw ter terms around very loosely, like, I'm a demonologist. I'm an exorcist. Well, no, you're not. Okay. An exorcist is a certain, you know, like Father Ken is an exorcist. Yeah. You know, you can't just, Father Joe down the street in my local parish can't come to your home and exorcise the demons or exorcise a person in the house. You have mm -hmm. to be trained by the Vatican. You know, you have to study uh, the, the, the right of exorcism. Like, uh, I don't know if anybody on the, on the call here has seen the movie The Right. Yep, uh, I've seen it. In 2012, it's based on the life of Father Gary Thomas. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I've I seen it a few times. Father Gary. Oh, and, wow. Um, I, I, I worked with him. He helped me with a case in Vermont some years ago, about eight years ago. And I remember asking him, I said, Father, you know what, if I ask you about the movie about your life, I said, how accurate was that? He said, Joe, it was pretty darn accurate. He said, mm -hmm. you know, I was on set uh, consulting, and I made sure. Oh, did we lose Joe? What's that? I didn't hear you. I think I lost you, Nicole. Okay. 
There you are. Woo. Yep, I lost you. Yeah, so wait, can you oh, hear me now? Standing by. Yeah, we can hear you now. Woo. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so Father Gary is a very interesting fellow. I, I learned a few things from him just by talking to him on the phone. I've never met him in person because he's out in the San Francisco area, I believe. But, you oh, know, wow. he taught me about, uh, about demons. Uh, he said, Joe, he says, there has to be a way in. They have to be let in somehow, some way, like using a Ouija board or having a seance or, you know, uh, you, you don't even need a Ouija board to summon spirits. Any kind of ritual right. you use to summon spirits, you know, a Ouija board is just, you know, I do a lot of lectures about this. I've had quite a few Ouija board cases in my day. The oh, Ouija yeah. board, it's just a board game. It's a board game by Parker Brothers, I believe. Okay. It's not the board yeah. itself. It's the intent behind it. It's the context of which you use that board. If your intention is to summon spirits, okay? And that doesn't mean that every, anyone that's used the Ouija board is going to have issues. You know, uh, that doesn't mean that. And, and when I lecture, people get nervous when I say that because like, oh, my God, I used the Ouija board years ago. Uh, I said, don't worry about it. I said, don't worry about I it. I find it fascinating. But, but what, you're playing with fire when you play with the Ouija board. And, you know, these, these evil entities look for what I call victim souls. You know, people that uh, may have depression issues or alcoholism or drug abuse mm -hmm. issues or, you know, mental illness, um, uh, you know, or, or autism. Some that if you have chinks in your armor, if you're weak, and I'm not talking about weak physically, if you're weak emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, you can become right. a target. <laughs> And you, you know, uh, I am, wouldn't be necessarily a good target because I don't give a shit. I'm I think I would anymore. because I'm sensitive and I'm a medium as well. Mm -hmm. So I think I mm -hmm. think I am like a walking target, if you will. <laughs> but uh, I find it fascinating. No, well, I don't I, let it scare me. I, I, well, you know what? You, you, as Chris always says, you know, he <laughs> said you say this is you need to face your fears. Right. <laughs> okay, and you know, you know, you know. I, I tell people about some of my cases and experiences, and you're talking to somebody at 350 pounds. I was at the time. I've been picked up and thrown across the room like a sack of potatoes oh, wow. by an unseen force. I've received bite marks on my shoulder, on my arms, on my legs. I've had bruises, scratches, scrapes. You know, I, I've been. I've been, I've been physically attacked. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and you, yeah. you know what it did as I as I grew older and wiser, it just pisses me off. Yeah. You know, um, you know, but, you know, I've had people say to me, really, say, oh, Joe, I'd like to experience something like that. And I said, no, you wouldn't. I said, don't say That's something what I like said. that. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You know, some people say, well, I just I want to experience something like that just to see what it feels like. I said, no, you do not. This is not a game. I take this very seriously. Look, I'm a jokester. I got a great sense of humor. But <laughs> when I'm doing this work, when I talk about this work, I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack. There are a lot of people out there, a lot of these TV personalities, you know, I use, use that term loosely. These guys don't have a clue. And a lot of them, if you haven't noticed, have got issues. Mm -hmm. They have mental issues. They have familial issues. They may have occupational issues. They have a lot of issues. I'm not going to mention any names. Well, you probably know who I'm talking about, and there's a bunch of them. 
Yeah. Okay. They do this work for for the sensationalism, the thrill seekers. Yeah, let's go and grab some evidence and throw it up on our YouTube channel. <laughs> you know, it's it's that's not what this work is about. This work for me is helping people and educating people. Like I'm doing yeah. now. Hopefully I'm educating some of you guys. Of course. I always you know, learn I, something I, from you guys. I mean, you know, if people need to be educated, if people were well as well educated on this, they wouldn't, a lot of them wouldn't get into the work. Yes, it's fascinating right. work and it can be very rewarding, yeah. but there's, there's, there's no money in it, you know, that's and true. that's not why I'm in the work. I've never charged anyone ever for, for helping them. Most of the time, I don't even charge expenses because mm -hmm. a lot of the people I've helped through the years can't afford expenses and i'm talking about travel expenses lodging things like that you know right. uh, yeah i would do that on my own dime and you can ask my wife about that <laughs> you know but um now i, I like to go around and educate yeah i'm sorry i'll be quiet no worries, no worries. <laughs> i love listening to you yeah. learn every, every time um let's see where was it uh if i may ask what was your first paranormal experience oh boy um <laughs> Well, I can tell you about the first bad case. Sure. First paranormal, ex first paranormal experience. I'll tell you a quick funny story, okay. and then I'll get to the case. I promise. Well, first experience was when we used to go out. Part of my training, uh, quote unquote, <laughs> was we would go to cemeteries in in the daytime. Not everything happens at night, like people would believe. Right. You know, but we would go during the daytime with Ed and Lorraine, and he'd say, "Okay, I'm going to teach you guys how to take psychic photographs." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." He's like. You know, you see, sometimes when you take photographs of old headstones or whatever, sometimes you see you can make out a face on them. You know, now yeah. granted that that you know, you know it could be pareidolia or matrixing. You know, you look yeah. at a a cloud formation long enough, you can try and see Mickey Mouse and SpongeBob. But you know, <laughs> you you, you got to focus. What I tell people who take pictures in cemeteries, <laughs> if you get a picture and there's really something in it, it's going to jump out at you right away. Don't oh, yeah. stare at the picture. For 20 minutes, and they well, wait a minute. I see something right there. No, no, it's not there. Trust me. All right, it'll jump right out at you. And I have pictures like that. I have many pictures like that. But anyway, so I had just bought a brand new camera. So Ed said, "Okay, back then this is before digital. I'm, I'm, I'm an old. Guy. All right, this is long before digital cameras. We had uh, Polaroids, and we had I like 35 millimeter. Polaroids. Yeah. Yep." Um, Polaroids are good because you had an instant picture. It wasn't the best yeah. quality <laughs> picture. Um, 35 millimeters sucked because, first of all, it was expensive for the film. It was expensive to process the film. Mm -hmm. And then you had to take it for processing, wait a couple of days, and, you know, if you're lucky, you get your pictures back. I had some of mine stolen. But <laughs> oh, that's, wow. that's another story. Anyway, so we're going around taking pictures. I'm taking pictures for at least 10 minutes or so. And Ed looks over at me. He's like, Joe, you got to take the lens cap off. <laughs> I was so nervous. I was so nervous. Oh. This is this is early on after we met. You know, uh, I was so nervous that I forgot uh -huh. to take the lens cap off my camera, and half of my little oh, film was just you know, <laughs> wasted. So that was kind of my first experience. But one of my first cases I worked on, I, w I was under his tutelage for a couple of years before I really got anything really bad. I went to a home in Bristol, Connecticut. I'll never forget this case. This family was the epitome of terrified. This family, mm. let me tell you, when I knocked on the door, we were at a lecture with the Warrens. I went through all the lectures. I, I acted as their security. They used to throw people out that got unruly and started being disrespectful. 
I just, you know, tap him on the shoulder and said, hey, another word out of you and you're going to leave, you know. Um, so Ed comes over, he gets a phone call during the middle of the lecture. His phone, uh, he gets a phone call and he calls me over into the hallway. He goes, Joe, he goes, I want you to go to this address in Bristol. I was in Meriden, Connecticut, so it was probably about a half hour drive. He goes, I need you to go there right away. Take your equipment. You got your equipment on there? You go, yeah, I got my camera, my, my recorder. Okay. He goes, call me later. So I go to this house. I knock on the door. It's a condo. You know, it's a condo. It's in the middle of other condos. So I open it. The family opens the door, and I tell him, hi, I'm Joe Frankie. I'm with the, you know, New Society for Psychic Research. He said, Ed Warren sent me. They grabbed me, and literally the whole family just hugged me. Uh, like, oh, my God, thank God you're here. I looked around. I opened up the door, the, the, you know, the door to the apartment in the condo. To my left was the living room. There was an open living room. To the right was the kitchen area. And there was a hallway, a couple of bedrooms, one down the end of the hall, one to the left, and then to the right there was a bathroom. There was a small condo, but had a couple of bedrooms. Every, let me tell you, folks, every piece, every item of clothing, every belonging, every toy, Every piece of furniture that these people owned was in the living room. Their mattresses, oh, wow. their pillows, their blankets. This family was so terrified that they didn't leave each other's side. And no one was to be home alone. All right? They would huh. see black hooded beings come out of the back closet in the back bedroom. They oh, wow. said that seemed to be the epicenter of the activity, that closet area. They would see them come out of the, cl the closet area, and then they would float down the hallway. So this family was so terrified. They, they used to see images of faces, demonic faces, as they called them, in the mirror in the bathroom. So when some, because they want to separate you. They want to get you alone. That's when they come yeah. after you, when you're your most vulnerable point. Okay? So what they would do is if somebody had to go into the bathroom and do their business, they would leave the door ajar about six inches and stick their hand out in the hallway. And somebody would be in the hallway with their back against the wall, holding their hand. This oh, is man. how terrified this family was. This was no joke. Now, this was kind of my first experience. And I'm looking Ooh. like a deer in headlights going, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> and I'm more intrigued than anything else. I, was, I don't think I was, I don't remember being scared. I was more intrigued. And so I, I asked him a bunch of questions. And at first, I remember I was writing stuff down. Like, oh shoot, my tape recorder! You know, <laughs> I'm fumbling around, get my tape recorder going. And I'm asking them. They're telling me what they're seeing. They said what had happened before they called Ed. I believe this is what happened. Um, they saw one of these figures come down, and there was a baby in a bassinet. And they saw this black hooded creature stop at the bassinet and like look down into it, like bend over. Like he was looking at the mm. child. And they, they were just terrified. I mean, this whole family, I said, okay, why don't you folks get some rest? I mean, it was probably 10, 11 o'clock at night by now. Uh, I said, I'm going to go in the back bedroom and sit there with my camera and my recording equipment. And uh, they felt so much better that I was there. So they, I don't know if they really got any sleep, but they all turned the lights off and went and laid down in the, in, in the living room. It was just, all huddled together. It was just, it was sad to see this. Yeah. I mean, you're paying rent or a mortgage mm -hmm. on a condo or a house that you're afraid to go into. I could tell you stories all week about that kind of stuff. Right, I have that's spirits. one of my biggest pet peeves. 
I've heard spirits sometimes. Right. I'm, I'm like, can you help with these chores? <laughs> you know I've what I that. mean? <laughs> I've gotten pissed off when they're here. I'm like, look, I know you're here. Mm-hmm. If you're going to hang out, we'll do the laundry. Right, right. I said, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you. And quite frankly, yeah. I'm tired and I'm, I'm fed up. And then I said, you're not allowed to be here. Yeah. And I'll take out my Bible. I'll take out my holy water. I said, you know, I'll say in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to be gone. Go right. back to where you came from. You're not welcome here. And by God, one time I was so angry after a case, something followed me home. I said, if uh-huh. you go anywhere near my children or my wife, I said, I swear to God, I'll kill myself and come after you in the afterlife. Oh, no. That's how ang- I was angry. I actually screamed that in my house. Right. My wife's like, what are you doing down there? I said, nothing, honey. Everything's fine. <laughs> oh, team said we still have 20 minutes time over. So we're running late. And there's some questions I want to get to before we close here. Um, he wants to know, do you know of any haunted locations that never had any death in a location's history? Uh, I'm just reading the question. That mm-hmm. never had a death in a location's history? Yes. <sighs> Good question. Um, nothing that comes to mind, but but you know, just because a, haunt, a location may be allegedly haunted doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean there was a death there. That's true. Um, uh, so I, I'm sure there's plenty, but nothing comes to mind. I'm, I'm think I'm trying to think of um, of like a public place, but there yes, there's many of them. To answer the question, mm-hmm. there is. You know, some locations, it's not the location that's haunted. Maybe it's an item in the location. Maybe someone's an antique collector. And oh, they, right. they collected an old sword that was used in the war that killed people or something. You know, or, or they may be attached to a piece of furniture, a car, a person. Right. Or jewelry. You know, item, items can be haunted. People can be haunted. Houses can be haunted. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I've been in, in houses that have activity like, Joe, the house is only two years old. I said, well, it might be the land it's built on. Yeah. So I said, go down to the town hall, look up the land records. It's public information. I said, I engage the client. I said, listen, you need to help me help you. I'm not going to come and show up with a proton pack on my back. It, that's, that's the movie. <laughs> I, said, but I said, if you're asking for my help, which you're not being charged for, I said, I expect full cooperation and I would expect you to do everything you're instructed to do or I can't help you. And there's been times I've told people, you haven't done anything I've asked you to do. So that tells me you're not taking this seriously. Okay? And it, and yes. some people just break down crying. I'm sorry, Joe. I'll do whatever you want. But I'll get angry. I'm like, look, I'm trying to help you here. But I've asked you to go do this, this, or this. Or I've asked you to take photos or put out a video camera or a recording instrument why are you sleeping? I said, I can't move in with you. And believe me, there's people I've actually stayed with for days and weeks, you know, um, to try and catch catch some of this activity. You know, like, geez, Joe, I, I don't know what's happening tonight. You know, every night, the, you know, the bathroom door or, huh. or, or the closet door would start shaking violently. I said, well, if there's anything to it and this thing has any kind of intelligence, it knows I'm here. It knows why I'm here. And yeah. it's probably going to hide from me. So... Yeah, but there's places that can be haunted that, that where a death did not occur. Absolutely. All right, and uh, thank you for listening. Terry York wants to know, do you, do you uh, use seances to draw spirits out? No, I do not, and I would not, I would not condone that. Seances, to me, are no different than using a Ouija board or even a spirit box session. 
Yeah, sure. Okay? <laughs> People buy these, these gadgets. I look, folks, I think they're interesting gadgets, and I don't want anybody, this gets me in a lot of trouble. People get mad at me, but I, I don't have a lot of faith in some of these gadgets. They're mm -hmm. not proven. All right. I mean, they're theories, and that's great, but, you know, it, it just makes other people money. You're paying money for REM pods and stuff like that. I used to have a, I still have it somewhere, a Gauss meter that measures. I still have a spirit bot, but it kind of gives me a headache anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, the, you may get responses. Believe me. I yeah, oh, I do. Yeah. Cases, but they're not, they're not 100% foolproof. I mean, there's that's no true. guarantee. You can never prove. That, that this is something from beyond unless it actually pops up in front of you. But, you know, so a lot, I don't have a lot of that equipment. My, my buddy does that I lecture with here for my, my, my own group I have here in Connecticut, the Connecticut Paranormal Research Society. Uh, it's just my buddy and I have been together since 1993 and we do oh, wow. around the state. But oh, no. I'm more focused on the foundation right now. And I wanted to uh, get to our Aurora's question. I didn't want to skip her. Uh, uh, what do you, what was your most fun or favorite case that you've been on? Oh, um, well, I wouldn't say any of them are fun. Um, but I do have some memorable cases that had very, very happy endings. Uh, oh, I had cute. one in West, Westport, Connecticut, where a woman was, um, she, she had an eight-year-old autistic son and uh, living, her boyfriend lived with her most of the time. He would travel, you know, back and forth because he worked uh, far away. But uh, she contacted us, and she was pretty frightened. She would hear uh, typewriter noises. Uh, oh, wow. And she would smell very pungent cigar smoke. Uh, and there's nobody else in the house. And, and she said huh. it would usually happen when Derek, when her boyfriend, was not there. But her son, um, you know, would be sleeping in the next room, and sometimes he would be sleeping with her if he was a frightened. Um and then she had a piano on the first floor, and the piano would play, you know. Oh, wow. Not full songs, but... The, and I was there one night when the piano was starting to play. I got it on tape. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm like, do you have a cat or something that would walk across the piano or something? She's like, no, I don't have a dog or a cat. So uh, anyway, we got involved in the case, did our research, and found out that um, a um, playwright... Um, his name escapes me. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, I think, rent used to rent that house um, oh, uh, to be close to, because this house was uh, maybe an hour outside New York City. So uh, West Westport, Connecticut, was a, a famous, um, um, I should say, haunt. Uh, you know, for for having um, celebrities and playwrights and stuff like that, uh, musicians w live in a lot of them live in Connecticut. A lot of um, celebrities have homes in Connecticut. Uh -huh. uh, so anyway. So, you know, we, we, we dug into the case. We spent a lot of time with her. We tried to put her mind at ease. She didn't have any poltergeist activity really like that, although the, the water in the bathroom, the sink and the, the, the tub would, would turn on on its own. I guess you can classify as poltergeist activity. You didn't have dishes flying around and stuff like that. Huh. She would hear these noises. <clears throat> excuse me, folks. She would hear these noises. She would smell this cigar smoke and hear typing. Oh, wow. I'm like, well, that makes sense. If, you know, if these playwrights used to live here, um, it was like a summer cottage for them. You know, you'd hear typewriter noises and, and cigar smoke and things like that. But what most prevalent was the smell of um, perfume. And it was the perfume that her mother wore. Right. And, and the piano belonged to her mother. She inherited it from her mother. 
So, you know, we, uh, we tried to um, put her mind at ease and said, listen, uh, I believe that your mom comes in visitation. I don't believe she's here all the time, but I believe she, she comes in visitation uh, because she was, she was having hard times. You know, spirit, you know, spirits usually come to right. come for you. You know, you've been hard times. So that was a very, you know, she started crying one, one day because, uh, crying uh, happy tears. Because we had on, on tape, we were mm-hmm. sitting in the kitchen uh, listening to her talking, and she heard the word mom uh, in, a, in like a, a, a sweet child's voice. Mom. Oh, wow. And, and we have it on three three separate tape recorders. So, you know, and she would say, you know, you know, my mom would wear that perfume. And I'm like, well, you know what? My, my opinion is that your mom comes to check on you to make sure you're okay. She's with you. Uh, you know, and uh, that was a very, very happy case. And, uh, you know, she, um, as far as I know, she still lives there today, and she's she's at peace with it. Um, I don't think she hears a lot of these noises anymore, but, um, you know, that's a very good story. I have a lot of stories like that. Not all cases uh-huh. are bad cases. Right. When you're dealing with a, a past loved one or something that's coming into visitation, that's actually beautiful. That's 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 great. You know, not Hollywood would have you believe that there's a demon lurking around every corner. And everybody needs to be exercised. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And I think we have another question real quick from our, they say that in Houston, people seem to be more sensitive to paranormal activity. Mm. And would you agree? I would. I would, Aurora. Um, I believe, yeah, I believe autistic folks, and I've had a lot of cases where there are autistic folks involved or folks that are mentally challenged. Uh, my wife works in a group home, actually. She's been doing it for 38 years. Oh, so wow. I, I know a lot of these, and they're beautiful people. They're awesome people, and they're very intelligent. However, because they are very gifted, I believe they are like a lightning rod for activity. Yeah, I I'm, I'm also have some sort of disabilities, and I was, you say I was also gifted, so... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I so so my answer is the short answer is yes. I do firmly believe that, and uh, have worked on cases that would support that theory. And she also says, uh, "Was it the uh, if I say it right, Jardins and Albany?" It sounds like her experience on the land. Like, yeah, on the land. <laughs> Yarden Gardens. Um, I, I got to be honest with you, Aurora, I do not know. Uh, I don't think so. I'm going to say no, but I, I couldn't tell you for sure. Sorry, uh, I had to mute myself. I had visitors. <laughs> um, no, that's okay. He wants to know, what do you know about the Morris Werewolf of William Ramsey case? Yeah, William Ramsey. Um, met him once. Um, oh, wow. Nice guy, very small guy. Uh, I wasn't involved in the case, though, to be honest with you. Um, the case primarily happened over in England. You lived oh, well. in a town called called South End on Sea. Uh, you can look that mm-hmm. up if you like. South End on Sea. But um, one story that I remember, I believe it's in the book. I have the book somewhere called Werewolf. The gentleman, they had him in, in a jail cell. I need and, to read that book. Know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, an inter- it's an interesting case in the story, but I was not directly involved. Um, but I remember one, one time where Lorraine described for me where he actually 
took on the features of a wolf. It like you know, she told oh, me wow. that his his nails were like pointed like a wolf and his teeth and and his head, his forehead would come out. And I'm like, I'm amazed because that's something you only see in the movies. I never saw it myself because I wasn't involved in the case. But um, you know, to meet the gentleman, he was such a nice nice gentleman. I mean little well, most people are little compared to me, but yeah, I'm six foot three and I'm still, you know, two hundred and ninety pounds. Right. Um, I'm only you know, He was a little guy. He was a really nice guy. And but I started to tell a quick story. Um, Ed was uh-huh. telling me that one day they had him in a jail cell over in England and they only had this little window, you know, this little tiny window, and he sma- was able to smash the window out. And oh, he wow. had halfway his body was halfway out of it. And he was snarling and he was snapping uh-huh. and growling. Just like just like a, a wolf, like a werewolf. Right. Um, but um, yeah, I, I know about uh, the case, and I, like I said, I've read the book. Um, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend reading it. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I definitely will. And I think it's on Amazon. I think I've seen it on there on Amazon. Yeah, mo- I believe most of their books you can get on Amazon. Uh, some of them are out of print. There is a book that I would like to get. The first edition of the it's called In a Dark Place. Right, right. Ha- it was a little it was a little paperback book. I used to have a copy. I lent it to I believe my ex ex brother in law one day about twenty something years ago, and I never saw it again. So I'd know. really love to get my hands on a copy. Unfortunately, I'll never be able to get it signed. But I do have a copy of the second or third edition that was signed by Lorraine. But again, like I said, it it had passed by then. Oh wow! Did you want to give any shout outs or? Or like, where any anyone who find you, if they should need some help, um, if I really <laughs> thank you for your time, of course, with being with us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Are, are we all done? Did I use up all the time? Just about. I think we have a few more minutes left. <laughs> but yeah, if you well, have any shout mean, out, oh. it's um, oh yeah, Aurora says I have the book too. Um, I guess is that, is that the werewolf book we're talking about? I think so. All the, all the Warrens books are fascinating. Um, some of I them, love their demonologists. Yeah, the demonologist is great, <laughs> but some of the books uh, liberties were taken, and I couldn't vouch for them to be fact. Oh well. Uh, you know, but um, the Warrens um, were, were pretty good about you know factual data, but. Um, there's been controversies over the years about like the Brookfield case and um, that's the that's the Conjuring Three movie. Uh, Arnie Johnson actually um, uh, is mm-hmm. is still alive. And Debbie, his wife, passed away a year yeah. ago. But um, but as, to my knowledge, the books are pretty accurate. You know, um, you know, Chris could speak better because a couple of the books were based on cases he was directly involved in. Chris right. uh, was ahead of was ahead of me by about four years. He started working with his grandparents in 1980. Uh, 80. Yeah, uh. He started in 86, so six years ahead of me. Uh, he's four years older than me, I should say. So. Oh, wow. Um, but these are fascinating cases. Uh, they're great stories, but they're true stories. I've got so many, obviously. Not only the Warren stories, but my own cases I've worked on. Um you know, uh, through the years. And uh, I usually, I, when I lecture, I usually talk about my cases. Uh, I do talk about Annabelle and Andrewville because a lot of people want to hear about that stuff. But 
uh, I wasn't directly involved in those cases because those happened in the early to mid 70s and I was just a young in them. Right, yeah. Well, I think we have one more question from Keith. He wants to know, um, so you're starting a new show. If you want to share that real quick. Oh, am I starting a new show? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, do you, do you mean like a podcast show? I, I, I don't have any plans to, um, but I maybe could be convinced if people want that. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Know, I, 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 I will listen. Love. I obviously I love to talk to people about my cases, but I I love to mm. talk to them from an educational standpoint. There are so many mistakes and misconceptions out there about the paranormal world, and you know it's it's they're just jumbled together like this great big noise with all these right. so-called and I say so-called paranormal celebrities out there. But what makes you a paranormal celebrity? The fact that your mug is on TV. I mean that right. doesn't make you anything. You know. I know for a fact because I know a lot of people and I know a lot of people that work behind the cameras and they tell me that, you know, some of these teams that you know well use fishing line and they set things up and things are staged because you got to think about it. If you have a weekly yeah. show and it's an hour or half an hour, you have to come up with content that's going to hold your audience, you know, captivated. All right. I could sit here for a week and tell you true stories that'll keep you riveted to your seat. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I know, I you know I've done, I've, I've done lectures that have gone three, four hours, you right. know, with a break here and there. Cause I got to go to the bathroom once in a while. Oh, he but said it was done... like Facebook, Facebook live. I'm sorry. He was saying it was like a Facebook live thing. thing about yourself. Uh, Facebook Live I've seen, I think. Yeah, I've probably done some. I, I, mm -hmm. Nothing comes to mind right now, but um, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't done any in a while. Uh, I'm just looking at the questions myself. Have I ever had to right. walk from a case? Yes, I have. I've had to walk away from cases. Oh, uh, wow. Not because, uh, you know, it was, it was because of the client. Not because activity was so bad. I would never, never walk away from a case. Uh, I, I would get additional help. Uh, if I needed it, I would get help from the church, from the clergy, uh, who, whoever I would need to help me fight this. But I've walked away from cases because of clients. These clients, right. um, either they flat out lie to me or, you know, uh, uh, or um, they Our don't do what I ask of them. <clears throat> you know, I get people that they'll contact me and I'll contact them back and they'll never hear from them again. And I don't know if it's because they're too scared or, or maybe they didn't expect to hear back from me. Or I answer all my emails, all my texts. I give people my personal phone number, my personal email address. And I said, if you have a problem, if you're scared, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you call me. Okay? My wife is usually at work because she works third shift. But <laughs> I said, you call me. I can't, answer, I can't promise I'll be awake and hear the phone. <laughs> I said, but if, if, if holy shit happens in the middle of the night, and you and you need help. I said, you call me. I'm not going to say, you know, wait till eight o'clock. You know, and that's happened in many cases where I've gone out in the middle of the night and just left. Oh wow! You know? And um, it's, but yeah, I've walked around away from cases, but it was because of the clients are frustrating. Yeah, everybody says right show, right? Yes, I do appreciate your time and everything for being with us tonight. So I've talked to Joe Pricey from the Warren Legacy Foundation. And um, thank you for being with us tonight. Well, thank you for and, having me, Nicole. I appreciate it. I appreciate the support for the foundation. Uh, 
Sure. I'm chairman. I'm chairman of the board. I'm also CIO, which they call me yep. the chief investigative officer. And all that really means, folks, is that if any of our regional directors need assistance with a case, they can always come to to me or Chris. You know, because we're the, the I guess called the elders. <laughs> I'm feeling my age. Right. But, you know. <laughs> but, Thank um, you for yeah. le- letting me ramble on for for an hour here. Yeah, no problem. You're always welcome back. I'd love to hear from you again. <laughs> Yeah, we could do this again. I'll tell different stories. All right, cool. we'll look stories. forward to that. And thank you, guys. And thank you, have you a everyone. Great God bless you all. Safe, safe night. <laughs> thank you, Joe. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Hi, my name is Nicole Jaspard. I'm an empath and paranormal investigator. I am also an author of a dozen books. Thank you for listening to Haunted Real Connections, where I'll bring you the best mediums and paranormal people the field has to offer. Stay tuned for another great show on Paranormal King Radio.